Okay, welcome back to another episode of the Better You Podcast. I am your host, Casey Maine, and I just want to thank you so much for being here. I know that there are a ton of podcasts out there, and so I'm just very grateful that you're taking the time to listen to mine. I hope that you enjoy it so much that you decide to send this episode to several friends of yours. And so this week, we are kind of continuing on our role of controversial topics. In episode 11, we talked about drinking. In episode 12, we talked about cannabis. And in lucky episode 13, we are talking about religion. This is our first episode where we discuss religion. And I just, I know it won't be the last because I am fascinated by religion for several reasons. But Also, I think it's a very fitting topic for this podcast because for a lot of people, it plays a very important role in their lives. It can be way more than a set of beliefs. It's a community and oftentimes a part of someone's identity. But really, this episode is about much more than religion. It ultimately comes down to allowing ourselves to question the things in our life that have always been there or that were passed down to us. And this can be anything from religion to thought patterns to any way in which we live our lives, like what's normal, what's expected, what's accepted. And rather than just blindly accepting these things, how to look at them in a critical, inquisitive and respectful way to make sure that they are right for us. So essentially finding a way to trust in ourselves in determining what is right for us. And this week we hear from Amy Schreiber. She is an artist, designer, poet, and co-host of the Intentionist podcast. Amy grew up in the Mormon church and then experienced what she calls a faith crisis in her 20s. So we talk all about how that crisis came about, the difficulties she encountered when she started questioning her faith, and how she was able to find peace in her decision and faith in herself. And having been raised in a devoutly religious household, Amy is fascinated by belief systems and cultures and ultimately hopes to inspire others to forge their own paths with curiosity, creativity, and compassion. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Amy and please be sure to listen all the way to the end where I will share my favorite takeaways. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I've been super excited to talk to you again. I've also been kind of terrified because I've never done a podcast where I didn't have editing control over the final product. So I think this is going to be a really good exercise in confronting my control issues. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I don't like I edit a little bit, but I've realized I can be a little bit of a perfectionist. So I'm kind of learning that editing is a slippery slope. It's like I can, I can feel the need to go too far with it and kind of cut out Mm -hmm. my little ums or pauses. And then I'm like, you know what, F it, like it's natural conversation. This is how I talk, like, so be it. Right. Right. No, it totally is. It it is a major slippery slope there. (laughs) I know that. Um, Okay. So the way I really just like to get started, if you can kind of just tell everybody a little bit of just kind of basic who you are, like what you do and what your life looks like, and then we'll, we'll dive into the deep stuff. Alrighty. So I am an artist and a digital nomad currently living in Olympia, Washington right now. We just moved back to the States. Um, after living in Mexico for a year and a half and then in Spain. And so, yeah, so we've moved like six times in the last four years. (laughs) But I think we're here in Olympia, back in Olympia for a little while. So I'm kind of excited to settle in again. But um, yeah, I do graphic design and content marketing for a healthcare publisher by day. And then by night, I, I create art and write poetry and produced the Intentionist podcast with my friend Hillary, which is what we had you on. And that was so fun. 
Um, okay. Wow. I didn't know you had, um, like a day job and then so many side hustles. You're, you, yes, I am busy, (laughs) busy person. Um, but yeah, like as far as the, the podcast that's been, that's taken like a lot of my energy in the last two years, we started two years ago. And, um, I was like my kind of backstories. I was raised in a big Mormon family and was a very, very devout member until I was about 25 years old. And I had a major faith crisis that was really kind of the catalyst for creating the podcast. And then these days, I'm a big believer in art and creativity as a spiritual practice and kind of a way to move through crisis and transition. So that's really my main interest right now is exploring creativity. And then my educational background is in exercise physiology and psychology. And then yoga too. I did, I got certified in yoga when I lived in Mexico. So I'm, so all the, the relationships between like the physical and psychological and spiritual aspects of people, they really interest me a lot. Oh, yes. Um, Okay. Right there. I feel like we are kindred spirits because I am super interested in people and then also like myself, but particularly kind of the segments of mind, body and spirit and how they all intersect because I, I, I don't know. I think that's like such an important relationship between all three of them. And we can tend to get like too focused on one and forget the other two. And so I just, I, I'm a hundred percent on board with you with that. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic. That's kind of mysterious and kind of puzzling. Um, but yeah, always, always interesting and exciting. So, okay. Awesome. All right. Well, so I feel like there's going to be some good stuff. Okay. So let's, start with what I think is kind of the most interesting starting point, which is the, the phase or the time in your life where you felt the most disconnected from who you really are. Like, what was that time for you and what did that look like? And then we'll just go from there. Mm. Yeah, that's a really interesting concept. There's really two times in my life where that is, has been really apparent to me in retrospect, but I've been thinking about like disconnection in a kind of new way lately, because I've noticed when I have been most detached from my center, I'm also most turned inward. So there's like this really big illusion that I am connected and inwardly connected because it's not like I'm busying myself with outside distraction. But I, I think what I do is I disassociate from reality into this really small circular place inside my mind that prevents action. And what what brings this state on usually is that when I see a crossroads coming and I don't see a positive outcome with either option. So it's like I uh, I don't want to make a decision. And so the two really most dramatic instances of this were when I was trying to figure out if I was going to get divorced from my ex. And then when I was trying to figure out if what I was going to do with this kind of new and disturbing information that I learned about my belief system. Oh, okay. Which one of those do you want to start with? (laughs) Um, well, I mean, this, the experience like having left both a religion and a marriage, the experiences are, are so similar. I'll kind of, I'll kind of start with like the church. I'll probably skip around. I hope this is not going to be too confusing for people. No, that's, but real quick is the, was the relationship and the church was that was he in that world and like part of that chapter of your life? No, I mean, yes, we were both 
we were both in the religion together, me and my ex. But as far as like the faith crisis that came after way after my divorce. Gotcha. Um, So, I mean, the sim like the really big similarity between those two situations for me was that like, I mean, no matter how dysfunctional it was, it's something that makes up your whole life and you really love things about it. Like you have this complete idea of what the past means and what the future is going to mean. And that idea just like got shattered. And so then I had to reframe everything about everything. There's like, there's a really profound sense of loss, Mm -hmm. probably even more so with the belief system because it was like a lifetime and instead of like four years of marriage in my case. And so, so during, yeah, so during that time when I was in limbo with both of those situations, not really knowing like, what do I do with this information? What do I do with the feelings of like misery, basically, and confusion? I kind of entered into this sort of insanity where I had to question every single aspect of my reality because what I thought was actual reality had just kind of turned to smoke in my mind. So there was this really tedious process of rebuilding my existential framework with, with both things. And, um, I was just searching and searching for like, to find a point of trust with myself because in both situations, I, I felt so, I I mean, you're taught in, growing up in a a system like Mormonism, you're taught that like, if your inner compass is not pointing in the direction that the, the, that is culturally acceptable, then that's your defect and you're wrong. So there's this like deep sense of distrust for like, if I'm feeling this way, then it must be Satan or it must be bad. It's like, like your inner compass being right for you isn't really an option under that system if it disagrees with the with the uh paradigm right right okay so that's interesting so i i will admit i don't know a lot or i really don't know anything at all about mormonism so can you give kind of a a cliff notes version of like what that belief system looks like just so we can kind of better understand like what what were like the messaging that you were raised in and kind of grew up in and so that cuz i i believe that really that can set a lot of your mindset, which then determines your decisions. Um, mm-hmm. So like what, what does Mormonism look like on kind of a high level? Oh gosh, that's such a big question. I, I feel like that's like a five hour conversation, but I'll try. Um, okay. It can be super high level. I just really like, I'm a blank slate. Okay. So yeah. So the, the Mormon church was founded in the 1800s. So it's like really a new religion and the, and it's based on, the teachings of a guy named Joseph Smith, who said he found some golden plates and translated them, um, which became then the Book of Mormon. And this is like the holy scriptures in the church, along with the Bible. So as a Mormon, you're you're raised with like the Book of Mor- all the Book of Mormon stories, which are like Bible stories. And and there is there was like a really big focus on Jesus and the atonement and like and things of that nature. But along with like the probably more mainstream Christian beliefs, there are also um, I mean, the belief like in eternal marriage. Like so if you get married, you are married for 
all of eternity if you're righteous. Like that's the whole thing. Like eternity is always at stake <laughs> as a as a Mormon kid. At least that's what it felt like to me. You you're raised with this idea of forever and it's like you have to behave yourself properly or repent properly if you should mess up if you want to be with your family forever or be with your future spouse forever. That ties into the, there's a lot of Christian based religions where that concept of burning in hell eternally is, Mm -hmm. is kind of the big fear factor of like why you need to live quote unquote, right. Like follow all the rules in life or you will like pay for it in in eternity. So it sounds like that's like a little bit similar. It, It is a little bit, but you know, it's kind of funny because like the idea of hell never really registered for me because there's kind of like, (laughs) there's this idea that everyone's going to eventually make it somehow, but it's just a matter of how much suffering you want for yourself along the way. Like, so, I mean, it really shouldn't be such like doomsday ish, Mm -hmm. but, but the effect, at least in my young mind was that if I don't do this right, then like maybe there's a point where it'll be too late or maybe there's like there's the possibility like maybe I won't be with my family forever, even though it's kind of taught like, well, everyone eventually makes it. It's just a you know, we all have our own paths and own timelines and some people might they might be slower learners than others in terms of how like how to get there. So I, I can kind of buy into that. But is this might be a dumb question, but is the Mormon religion um, allow for like multiple wives okay yeah well that's the other whole can of worms is in the beginning that's what i always thought but then like if you're married for eternity (laughs) no so like what is taught i mean let me back up so when it was founded by joseph smith he started doing polygamy and started marrying all these women and teaching people that like oh this is god has to restore this to the earth And that like this is a necessary part of what we have to do. So polygamy was practiced for a long time. I'm actually related to one of the early founders of the church who had like many wives. And that was um, like that practice was stopped as soon as they got enough heat from the federal government. Like I think I, I don't remember exactly, but like Utah was trying to become a state and polygamy is like not legal federally. So people still do practice it, but it's in, it's not in mainstream Mormonism. It's like, there's more fundamentalist groups that still practice it. But as far as like the mainstream Mormon church, they no longer do that. But that was like one of the things that you kind of know growing up, you kind of know like, Oh, that was a thing and that happened. And we like, don't want to talk about it. (laughs) But, but that was the thing that when I really looked into like the history and like what it appeared to me as an adult, it's like, Oh wow. That's, that's like classic cult leader type stuff. That's like threatening someone like an angel's going to come destroy you. If you don't enter into a polygamous marriage with me type things. And <laughs> there's always the argument that like, well, he didn't, he didn't want to do that. Like that was not what he wanted to do. But then <laughs> it's like, you look at that, like, well, what's more likely this person who's a very charismatic leader. Like, I mean, this is just like the common formula, charismatic leader who 
has all these sexual indiscretions and like wants to make it okay and like wants the belief system to like support whatever he wants to do you know in his private sexual life so that's i mean that that makes more sense to me when i look at it now i'm like yeah of course like that's just what he wanted to do he just wanted to try to justify wanting to hook up with these teenagers you know but you know that's it uh, it's so interesting because that's like a little bit of a common theme in the origin stories of a lot of religions and not necessarily that it, it ties down back to like sexual indiscretion, but more like, okay, this belief system doesn't a hundred percent fit the way I want to live my life or my beliefs. So I'm going to branch off and like start my own thing that is kind of everything I want it to be. Right. I mean, it's one of those things that to suggest that Joseph Smith did all these things for his own sexual gratification or whatever, like that is a very, very offensive concept for members of the church to hear because he is so totally revered as a prophet of God. And so it's like when you put men in these situations where it's almost like a state of of prophet worship where you're like, whatever they do, it must be right. And if it's not right, I mean, like there's there's the cop out both ways, because it's like if it's not right, then they're just a man. No one's claiming they're God. But but it mostly is right. And that's why we have this entire system set up around their teachings that we still all follow to this day. Was that kind of the beginning of the breaking point between you and that belief system? Or like, how did that all what did you first start to kind of question? <laughs> and like, what what started the, the breaking? Oh, goodness. Well, I was dating my husband who I'm married to now. And actually kind of trying to convert him <laughs> to Mormonism. Really, I wasn't trying to. My, um, We worked in the same place. And the owner of this company was really like trying to convert him. And I was thinking from the beginning, I was like, I don't know how well that's <laughs> going to work. Like having known him and talked to him. But I, in my little Mormon heart, I'm thinking, dude, if he can get baptized and join the church, then we can be together, right? Because you're not supposed to marry someone who's outside of the religion. Did he practice a different religion? No, he didn't. Okay. So he was studying the church and he read the Book of Mormon and he went through all the missionary lessons. Like in in the Mormon church, you have missionaries whose job it is to teach new people and bring them into the fold. So So he went through all these things and he did all this research. And when he would come to me with questions, he'd be like, well, what about this? And it was all things that I had never allowed myself to think about before or question. And and so it was just like a lot of interesting information came up that way about the origins specifically. And then one of the major things that really impressed my mind was some Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door one day. And I invited them in and I started talking to them and we started talking about our our different belief systems. And the way that they were talking to me was so familiar and so similar to like the way that I would talk to people, the way that Mormons talk to people. I was like, they're like, we can't both be right. (laughs) You know, like how, (laughs) how is it that I can look at your system and think this is kind of, this is kind of crazy. This is kind of cult-like. This is kind of weird. 
but it's, it's the same, <laughs> you know, like it's, I was able to see like that, that was kind of the piece that really shifted my mind into thinking, wait a minute, like, is this really the one true way to believe, you know, I, cause I'd never really allowed myself to question it before. And it was, it was the strangest thing because I always felt like I was really critically thinking. I was really thoughtful about my belief system, but looking back there, there was certain areas that you just don't allow your mind to go when you are in a kind of closed belief system like that. Mm -hmm. How much of uh, like practicing Mormon were you, were you like super into it or just kind of, cause I know like, so I was raised mm -hmm. in the Catholic church and there are people that are like, you would say like devout Catholics. And then there's the people that, you know, go to church on the major holidays and kind of follow the basic rules. So like, where did you fall on that spectrum of like, how, how into it were you? I was a hundred percent into it. I was a hundred percent to my ability as a, as a teenager and young adult believing in it. I my first marriage, I was married to another Mormon. We got married in the temple, which is another aspect of the religion that is, that makes it kind of different from the rest of mainstream Christianity. But yeah, I was a hundred percent believing. Although now that I, now that I have some distance between that time and now I can look back and see how as a teenager, there was always kind of this thought in the back of my mind, like, well, I feel lucky that I have, I was born with the truth. But as far as like my friends who are not members, like, there's no way that they would buy into this stuff. There's no way that they would join this. Like, this looks so strange from the outside that I don't like, I don't see why we're doing missionary work because I don't know, like at least knowing the people who were not Mormon that I was friends with, that I knew and loved, I was like, why would they believe this? Like I couldn't, I couldn't see a reason like why they should choose to be a part of it. So that's kind of like, that was the extent of my doubt of it though. That's very interesting. So it's like, you're, you're thinking, oh, I'm very grateful for mm -hmm. this quote unquote truth. However, right. I don't think my friends would buy into this. So two questions, I guess, like, were you grateful for the actual like truth and the messaging or were you grateful for the community? And then kind of assuming your friends wouldn't buy into it. Was there like a level of insecurity or embarrassment there? Like how much of that was kind of that teenage? Oh, like I'm worried about what my friends think. You know, I don't remember being super concerned with what other people thought about it, because as a member of the church, you know how it looks like you kind of know, like, yeah, people think Mormons are kind of weird and it's not a disturbing thing to you because you're like, but we're just right. So <laughs> so it doesn't it doesn't matter like what matters when we have the truth. And I mean, that certainty that you are taught above all else is kind of the most disturbing aspect to me about the religion in general looking back because it provides such a limited set of solutions to life's difficulties and a limited um, amount of bridges to connect with outsiders from it. And then there's just no room in the face of certainty, especially if it's certainty that you don't really understand because it's just always been there since you were a child. It's not like, it's not like, it's not like certain, it's not true certainty, but it's, 
It's what you think certainty is. Right. It's what you've been told is certainty. And then there's kind of no allowance for questioning past. And yeah, there's no room to consider more helpful ways of thinking. And so, I mean, I think that this lies at the root of the perfectionism that that I experience. And I think that many people in this this religion experience and also why so many people, especially teenagers, are killing themselves in Utah. It's become a major problem these days that the rate of like adolescent suicide has just exploded in Utah because and I think it has to do with the fact that if things aren't working well for you under the system, if you have uncertainty and if you don't know like everyone else is claiming to then it's your personal defect. Like you're too unrighteous. You're too dirty. You're too depressed. You're too homosexual. You're too fill in the blank, you know, to be loved by God and therefore be blessed with this, like a happy life, you know? And I, I mean, this is obviously oversimplified way to right. discuss like a big issue like this. But the fact is that like, from my perspective, I see serious pathologies that arise out of really closed systems like this. And it's not exclusive to the Mormon church, obviously, but it really, it really, really, really shocked me um, in moving from the inside to the outside of the belief system, how difficult it was to pry apart the mental conditioning, like the, the grooves and the thought patterns were so deeply ingrained that even, even after I could see it more logically and objectively, like it still felt very, limited like it was all still there yeah I mean that's that's true for all of our like thought patterns whether they stem from mm -hmm. religion or whatever it's like that our our kind of way of thinking and like the limitations we put on ourselves and our insecurities and all that deep-rooted stuff is so deep-rooted even once you're aware of it at least I found it's this whole process to try and undo or unwind it and I'm just thinking that yeah, like that, that's such a, a big, like a big concept of, okay, if you're unhappy, especially as a teenager, which those are, you know, difficult years for a lot of people, if you're unhappy, instead of thinking, okay, something about my life isn't right for me. So let me kind of make some changes to find a way to be happy. It's instead just says like, you're like you're unhappy because there's something wrong with you. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Yeah, that's what that's what I see, and and that's and and I think it sounds really sinister. And the last thing that I would want to do is suggest that almost like every person that I know and love, you know, my most of my family is still very active members of the church, but and and I wouldn't want to suggest that these individuals are knowingly creating this environment that's 100% harmful, right? There's a lot of amazing things about the culture, like the community, like service, whatever. But I think the nature of groups and organizations is really the problem. And once they become a certain size, they they kind of get a mind of their own. It's like this entity with a certain amount of artificial intelligence. And like an organism, it's trying to grow and thrive and survive. And as a result, certain ideas kind of take hold and practices become normal and things are set up in such a way like to ensure their survival. And so that like to question them is to question God. Like, like you cannot, you cannot dismantle and question it without like feeling the full gravity of like, Oh no, this is God. And then words start to take on new meanings in organizations. Like, 
you know, church and the teachings of the church, that really equals God and ultimate reality, you know, and belief equals knowing and anything not happy or shiny equals Satan and sexuality equals sin and on and on and on. So I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that in, in other religions too. I have a really good friend who grew up in the Pentecostal church and we've had a lot of conversations about it, but yeah, kind of that concept of if you question like one aspect of it, you're then questioning the totality of it. And, and that comes with consequences. And, Mm -hmm. and I think, and, and I, and I don't want this to come across negative about the Mormon church. I mean, I certainly like don't know enough about it to pass any kind of judgment, but there can be concepts and teachings and practices that maybe start out with a good intention and they do a lot of good for people, but then I don't know, almost like the, the longer they go or the, the more they're expected to stay the same among really changing times, then that's where they can have like unintended consequences, which are oftentimes negative. Yeah, no, I think you're right about that. And I think like all the, all the things that are positive about the Mormon church, like community, that is one of those things that's great and amazing, but it's also the double-edged sword that like, if you don't feel you fit in with that community, then that becomes a really big glaring sense of isolation for for someone so as you started to question things through conversations with your now husband who you were dating at the time and like as you started to maybe break away from that belief system like what was did you talk to you know your your family and friends who were in the mormon church about it and then what was their reaction like how did that all play out as you started to question things yet you were still in this community that wasn't questioning things. I, yeah, I would talk to my family. I didn't know how to talk to them effectively (laughs) about it. Like, like it was, it was totally uncharted territory for us because everyone, no one had left, you know, no one had really said all these things for an extended period of time. I mean, I think it's kind of normal for a Mormon kid to be like, I'm questioning things and but then you just have to pray to know the church is true. And then you get your testimony and then you feel secure in your knowledge of it. Right. So that's kind of like what happens. But for me, like as I continue to to question and to talk about it, it got really hard. I mean, I didn't know who I could talk to. And I really feared being judged harshly because I know what is taught about apostates. Like if you leave the church, it means that you have been deceived by Satan somehow, or you are too prideful to like, let the holy truth into your heart. Like, it's all 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 this, all these things that were taught to me about like, what someone looks like who loses their faith and leaves, they were all bad negative things. So I'm like, if I start talking like this, that's what everyone's going to think of me. Because I remember thinking like that, like, I remember that's what's, that's, that's the only option, you know? So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely a learning experience for everyone. Like there was a lot of sadness, obviously, like that's the worst thing that could ever happen to a Mormon parent is to have their child leave the church. Like that is 100% a horrible thing. And so in interfacing with my family, I understand that all of their concern and all of the things that they say to me that I know they're all coming from like 
a place of love and concern. It doesn't make it hurt less when they happen to say something that is like really damning, <laughs> like about about me or like insinuating that my character is, mm-hmm. um, you know, somehow flawed or bad or whatever. But I, I do understand like it's all it's totally unintentional. It's it's a it's a side effect of the of the belief system. Like there's not really another way <laughs> for for it to go. Yeah, um, and I I see that a lot. Like, and that's because yes, I I am sure I don't know your parents, but I am sure that they love you, and so when they express concern, probably like for your soul or for your fate or yeah. however it is, you know, talked about in, in that religion, like they mean well, because they really very, very much believe that and they love you. So there is a good intention there. But what I find so interesting is at the root of that is also judgment because while yes, it's like couched in this, I'm, I'm looking out for you because mm-hmm. I think your soul is going to be damned or, or whatever it is. But it's still pointing at somebody else's life and beliefs and saying, you're wrong. And right. that's where I have a hard time understanding. And I'm, I'm by no means an expert on, on the Bible or even like the teachings of Jesus. But I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of what Jesus talked about was not to judge and to just love. So I find it so interesting when these religions that are very much all about Jesus then still find this way to judge but they kind of hide it under this, oh, it's because I'm I'm looking out for you and like you need to be saved or whatever. Right. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is it's an unfortunate consequence, I think, of just being in a closed system and it causes unnecessary suffering to all parties <laughs> involved. I mean, it's it is just the reality of the system, though. And um, I mean, another thing like granted, I do. All of, in all my interactions, I try very hard not to, but it's it's impossible to avoid not projecting like <laughs> your ideas about how someone is thinking about you onto them. Right. Especially like me. Like, yeah, I know what it felt like to be Mormon, but I know what it felt like to be a Mormon, like zero to age 25 year old. I don't know what it felt like to be a Mormon, like 60 year old. Right. So right. so me projecting my very young, immature like development in that it's probably different that I would hope I would certainly hope it's different than like someone who is 70 years old in it um but with that I mean I I have a hard time now trying to um I've never been one to really share my feelings very openly with my family members but I feel even less inclined to do so now because I feel like to show weakness or to show that if I'm having a hard time or if I'm feeling depressed, it's to admit that like, oh, that I'm having a hard time. And therefore, I don't want to validate any ideas about like, yeah, well, that's because you left the church, you know, well, that's because that's what happens to someone who doesn't believe anymore. Like you don't, you're not happy all the time. And it's just like another, like, that's my own, (laughs) that's my own thing that I have to work through and deal with and not project onto my family members. Assuming what they're going to, how they're yes. going to act. Cause yeah. that's just a hundred percent me getting in the way of my own like intimate relationships with people. But it is an aspect. I mean, I bring it up because it's an aspect of the perfectionism that is, I think 
so detrimental <laughs> to a mind, especially a young mind. That is, uh, I feel very, um, an unfortunate side effect of being raised in a system like the Mormon church. Right. Cause like perfectionism, and I've never really thought of this before, but I mean, that's riddled in judgment because you're, you're saying that there's, there's a right way to be in all aspects and in everything that you do. And so that means there's like wrong ways to do it. And I mean, that, that doesn't allow for any kind of acceptance of where you may be in your own process and any concept of, okay, you can only do the best you can do with like the knowledge you have and the awareness you have. And mm-hmm. instead it's kind of like putting this enormous pressure to be way far ahead of where you actually are and, and not recognizing that it, it, it takes time to get there. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, I think too, like the whole understanding that humans are humans <laughs> and like, because you have a, something hard happened to you or because you have something good happened to you. Like none of that is exclusive to a belief system, which that was uh, an interesting one to unpack over time because logically, obviously everyone knows bad things happen to people and good things happen to people. And it's not um, like, I mean, depending on how you behave, like sometimes more suffering is caused or less, but, but the idea that, Living with them inside of the church equals a happy life and living outside of the church equals an unhappy life. That's a major message that I that I still deal with. I mean, and it's it's kind of funny because this year after we moved back um, to Washington and I thought like everyone was kind of having culture shock (laughs) in my family and we were like kind of struggling to reintegrate and be like, okay, it was just kind of like the the low after the high. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was going through all these transitions that I'd been through in the last while. Like, it was like, wow, I've been married. I've given birth. I've been divorced. I've been remarried. I've left my religion. I've lived in three different countries and I don't think I've processed any of it. So yeah, I started, a lot. <laughs> it was, and I never, and so I started therapy for the first time, <laughs> for the first time this year. But it was so silly because I couldn't even admit to myself that I wanted help or that I needed help processing these things. I, I'm i going to this amazing dream analyst and how I started going to her was in my mind I had to tell myself, well, I want to interview a dream analyst for my podcast. So like I'm going to go, I'm going to pose as a client and then hopefully I'll be able to interview her once we get to know each other. And that's like, like I had to justify it to myself and be like, no, I'm just like, I'm just here to try to interview this person. I don't need help. You know, it was this silly thing in my mind, but that, that I couldn't, I couldn't even admit to myself like, oh, I I might need help because then maybe that invalidates my entire decision to distance myself from church. Right. Like, even though I logically know that that's ridiculous, like that stuff still creeps up all the time. I'm still having to continuously like confront that. Yeah, because it's like you're constantly at risk of kind of falling back into that pattern of believing, okay, it's it's me. I did, I wasn't right in following kind of my own moral compass of uh-huh. this belief system wasn't right for me because now look, oh my gosh, they were right. Like I'm unhappy. So <laughs> yeah. like, it was yeah. me all along. 
yeah, it's a very it's very uh, slippery slope there. But it's it's a real it's a real danger. Um, I mean, the thing that obviously keeps me going and that is is the hopeful part of when you experience the loss and the grief of of losing a belief system or a marriage. You also there's this really exciting and um, intense expansion of possibility where you 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 just like I felt like a little kid just in awe like wow I don't have to expend all this energy that I didn't even know I was expending to protect this mental framework or to protect this certain reality and I can actually explore my own questions for real now not these ones that are already answered you know for for you so how did you start to do that because I, I think that's a really great point that I've never really thought of before. It's like you kind of, you grow up with a certain, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be religious belief system, but just like kind of the, this mental construct of how you think life is and mm -hmm. that you might not really be aware of how much energy it takes to protect that so that everything you encounter and everything that happens, you're able to fit into this construct. So then it's like right. a battle breaks down and it's like, you're starting from scratch. Like, how did you go about that? I, st I mean, I've always really liked to read a lot. So I just started reading more and more books about that. I probably wouldn't have read before because it would have been, you know, considered either anti-Mormon literature, which, or, just like, why would I read, you know, that Buddhist book when I already have the truth right here? So I started reading a lot of different um, religious books and, and kind of books from just different schools of thought and philosophy and stuff. And they just blew my mind, really, especially the Buddhist texts. I love Thich Nhat Hanh and all of and so I was reading. <laughs> I don't remember what book it was, but it was just some short little passage about how things are temporary and how like when you experience a negative emotion, you just, all you need to know is like, Oh, this is just going to pass. Like this is not forever. And that one concept was so profound to me having grown up with the idea of forever. It was like immediately helpful. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is the most practical knowledge, like daily yes. life real knowledge that I've ever heard. Like, why isn't this being taught to every child in the world? Like, <laughs> yes. why wasn't I taught this? And like, and, it's very simple. There's like a, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by Buddhism also. And I think this is a Buddhist concept, but it talks about kind of like when emotions come or when feelings come, think of it as if you were to just skim your fingers on the top of water. It's like, you notice it, but then, you know, your hand moves down and like the water just goes back to being the water. And that was hugely helpful for me because I think I had more of this history of not processing and not dealing with and like repressing emotions for mm -hmm. fear. I think that I would get stuck in them and caught up in them and not be able to get out. So the concept yes. of, Oh, okay. It can come. You can notice it. You don't pretend it's not there. Like it's fine. It's there. And then it moves on and it's gone. I was like, Oh, okay. I like that. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. And that's, uh, that's, yeah, I experienced that same thing with that, with that idea and, and the same type of repression. Like I kind of joke that I didn't have any real feelings till I was like 20 <laughs> because I remember looking in junior high at my friends, like who were having the turmoil of young, like 
young teenage girl turmoil. And then I was the second oldest of six kids. So I always saw like my younger siblings always throwing tantrums and just, you know, emotional lack of control and expressing it in like these ways that I found really uh, disturbing. (laughs) So I was like, I don't want to be with, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to look like that. So I'm just not going to feel things like I think that's kind of part of what shut me down for a long time and also just the fear of like what if you never get out what if you start feeling sad and then you can never stop Mm -hmm. it's yeah it's a real it's I mean it sounds simple and silly but it's what what's running us is all these (laughs) really childish uh things that happen that uh, get fused in there as children it's true and I think that like because I remember my mother's even told me like I was a very sensitive child and 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 even into I think like teenage years and I think because I I was you know I don't know maybe too sensitive but like I I felt a lot and so that includes like the negative emotions so like I would get my feelings hurt and I'd be disappointed and I'd be sad and I think years and years of that I just like was like I don't want to feel this way so I slowly kind of like shut off all the emotions. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, that ended up just coming back to bite me in the ass. But I I think a (laughs) lot of how we handle, how we view our emotions and then how we react to them sets up these patterns that kind of snowball the older we get. And so then we're all trying to like dig out of some kind of hole. It just looks different for everybody in terms of like what, what was the cause of their, their issues with emotions. Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because, I mean, it's just uh, until you look at it and think about it, it's something you don't think about. You know, it's just, oh, it's just there. And, oh, am I crying right now? Why am I crying? I don't know. It'll whatever. Yeah. It's 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 been a funny thing trying to unpack, trying to basically learn emotional intelligence. <laughs> I'm in that class as well. And so now yeah. if I get upset, I it's this whole self-analysis process of, okay, why am I upset? And is that why like justified? Or is that something I'm, it's just triggering something in me that is stemming from something a long time ago, or isn't even mm-hmm. actually true. So it becomes like, all this questioning of my feelings, which then I think that's even a slippery slope, because it's like, okay, you can't, like, how much time can you spend questioning <laughs> <Yeah>. yourself? <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. And crazy the way our brains work and how much energy is spent to like basically lie to ourselves or trick ourselves or avoid pain, you know, avoid conflict. It It's, I mean, kind of back to the, our topic on disconnection, how it manifested before toward the end of my marriage, it came out in really low self-esteem and really weird attempts to try to get praise and validation from people. Yeah, because, no, I, I know exactly yeah. what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I at that time, I was living in Missouri, and I was doing super ornate craft projects in the middle of the night after I put my son to sleep. And then because I wanted to get validation and appreciation from my friends and neighbors about about this stuff. Like, it was like I sewed this huge, beautiful quilt for someone's baby shower that was my neighbor. And I barely knew her, but I spent hours and hours on this thing. And it's not, it had nothing to do with because, oh, I want, I genuinely want this baby to have a pretty quilt. It was because I was just really, really craving praise and I didn't know how to cultivate it for myself. 
And um, so, yeah, like from the outside and even from the inside, I could look at it and be like, oh, isn't that nice that I'm trying to be in touch with my creativity, mm-hmm. even though I have a small baby, you know, like that's nice that I have this outlet. But it was all totally stemmed in at its core, this like desperate and manic attempt to seek approval because I felt bad about myself because I like didn't feel loved or approved of in my marriage. And I felt like I was failing, you know, at the biggest decision I had ever made so far in life. So, yes, I, I love that. I could not agree more. Like I think so often, like it is, it is like our intention behind things that matters, not the actual yeah. act itself, because on, you know, like that act, Oh, we made our great quilt. Like ultimately like that looks great. But like the true intention behind it is that you're seeking like approval praise from outside because you're, you're not feeling good inside. And so that's mm-hmm. where it's like a good act isn't necessarily a good act. Like it, it all comes down to kind of the why behind doing it. Right. I totally agree with that. And it's so weird to, <laughs> so weird to see like the strange whys that come up, especially looking back, you know, it's always harder to see when you're right in the thick of things. But looking back, you're like, wow, that's so weird that I went to such great lengths to like for this just simple reason, you know, for low self-esteem or for, you know, fill in the blank. It's just all it's all very strange how, how we how we uh, do that as humans. It, it, you're right. And it is. It's 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 always easier to see it in hindsight. And then in the moment, you you know, we're just we're so great at tricking ourselves and being like, no, I'm doing this for this reason. But Years later, you'll be like, no, nope, it was actually for a different reason. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm going to assume that um, the Mormon church is not okay with divorce. Well, divorce is acceptable if it's like a situation of abuse. Like that's that's pretty acceptable or like infidelity. That's acceptable. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of in my mind (laughs) at the time, like how I'm miserable in this marriage. Like I got married when I was 20 years old and I didn't, I didn't know who I was. Like I, I like loved this person in the very limited crippled way, you know, that I could, but ultimately like it, it wasn't working at all. And I, and I knew from the beginning too, like I saw, I saw signs and red flags, like, oh, this is probably not going to be the best choice. But again, I totally t- tricked myself into, to thinking like, no, this, this actually means this. And you'll, you'll like the story. I don't know if I told you cause you like dragonflies mm-hmm. <laughs> the day before we got, um, we got married. I found a dragonfly in the gutter while we were walking and but it was dead. Like it was this really pretty dragonfly, but it was dead. And so I'm thinking like, okay, it's dead, but it's still a really, really good omen. And um, <laughs> so I like, I carried around this dead dragonfly for like years. I just barely got rid of it when we sold all our stuff before we moved to uh, Mexico. But this dead dragonfly, it's like, it was, it was, I knew at the time, like, uh, like I know this isn't my best choice. I know that this is not the best choice I've ever made right now, but I'm doing it anyway. Cause it's like inertia, like you already set yourself on a course and it's hard to change course. And it's like, it's hard to listen to that little gut feeling. Cause there's no like real concrete evidence, so to speak, that you should be making a different decision. Yes. So yes. it's like everything seems fine, 
yet you've uh-huh. got this tiny little voice. And so how do you like just completely like turn your life upside down because you have this tiny little voice and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to hear that. And it's hard to like, trust that, like that's, that that's tough. Yeah. I mean, and you don't even know necessarily what the voice is. It's not like, it's not, I mean, at least for me, it's not like, Oh, I was, I was, I felt powerful and then I became disempowered and then like I'm slowly regaining my power. It's like, no, I didn't even know what my power was. I didn't even know like that that existed or how it existed inside of myself. And it was like a really slow uncovering of like that inner voice. And it all, I mean, it really, it became loud when like before I decided to get divorced it started getting louder in certain ways and it would kind of manifest in my mind as this, this thing that would say like you have a mind and you have a heart and they're both telling you things and they're both telling you the same things. Like you are the only person who can act on their behalf. Like, Mm -hmm. you know what to do. Like you, you have a choice and you can do this and it doesn't look good or fun or pretty, but it's like, like you, you can act, you can act for yourself. Like you can act for your own behalf. And it's, and it was a, I mean, it's kind of a weird foreign concept almost at the time because I was, it was so ingrained that I need to pray and I need to have a clear answer from God about what I should do. So that was, it was constant praying and begging and like crying on the floor and be like, just tell me what to do. I don't know, send an angel down so he can be like, all right, yes, you need to stay married to this person or no, you can go get divorced. It was like this, this thing. (laughs) Yeah. And that's like, okay. So I'm, I'm what I believe and this is where like, I can get on board. People like, Oh, you need to pray for an answer from God. Okay. I can get on board with that statement. But to me, it's that voice is that inner, that is your answer from God. Like it's that little voice inside of you. Whereas instead it's, you said you're like waiting for this, angel or some kind of external voice when I instead I think it is internal yes a hundred that was the shift for me that allowed me to actually act is when I realized like oh like I heard the tiny 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 voice that was saying like oh you're here to use your own brain and your own heart like you're here to use them and so so do it you know basically and that's, I mean, like you can call that God or you can call that your higher self or whatever else. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it is often a like you logically, yeah, it's so many things that like you logically know, but like in practical matters and when you're in the thick of emotion and in the thick of confusion, you just, you want to avoid responsibility for deciding and you want to, you want someone to do it for you, but no one, yes, can, that no one can true. live for you. You're so right that I think that is it a lot of the time. It's like we, we look to the external because then we don't have to take, we don't have to take control. It's like, it's easier right. if it's because somebody else told me or because, you know, rather than being like, nope. And like standing in your own truth and dealing with all the consequences that come from your decisions and owning that versus, you know, looking for answers from the external so that you don't have to actually make those decisions. And especially when you couple that with like really bad self-doubt and bad self-esteem, like, like in the instance of like when I was trying to get divorced, I, I thought I like, I had, I had such bad 
feelings about myself because I thought, wow, I cannot be trusted to make good decisions because look at this decision that I made and look where I am now. Like I can absolutely not be trusted. So how can I, how can I find the part of me that I can trust? It was like a lot of digging, (laughs) a lot of digging to try to be like, and to try to come to just like the understanding that, oh, we don't have to be perfect. You know, like it's okay. It's okay to mess up. Like it's not, it's not the end of the world, but if when it feels like the end of the world, it's like, it's a lot of, um, yeah, it's a lot of uncovering to do right in the, right in the midst of it. Was there any part of you then or now that views it as it wasn't a mistake or a failure, but just a necessary step in your process? Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely. I think it was 100% necessary for me to go through that to learn certain things. And I mean, maybe I could have learned it another way, but that's the way that I learned it. And that's what happened. So it's like, and I don't like I'm not even like being raised in in the Mormon faith too. like, I don't wish I wasn't raised that way. Like there was some amazing things about being raised that way. And like, it's just shaped who I am today and it's given me insights that are like particular to the situation. Um, so, I mean, that's all we can really do is just accept our past and accept the lessons that it gives us and then move on and not beat ourselves up about it or like try to waste time and energy wishing it was different. Exactly. Cause like, I feel like there's, you know, there's like a whole like spectrum of, of how to view it. And so a lot mm-hmm. of times I think people and even religions view it very much on like, you know, there's a right way to do things as, and then there's a wrong thing, wrong way to do things. And then mm-hmm. you could take a step kind of in the other direction and be like, oh, okay, well, actually everybody makes mistakes. We're humans. That's fine. But then on the other end, it's kind of like maybe none of it is a mistake. Maybe it's all just lessons and it's all actually right because if we remove like the judgment of like what a mistake is something wrong or something mm-hmm. that failed, if we remove that, then it all just, it, it just is, it was just another step in the process and like not, not placing like good or bad on it. Yeah. That's the, that's a really helpful concept. I think also, I mean, especially back to emotions and looking at emotions and saying like, this is a negative emotion and therefore I'm going to try to run from it. Or this is a positive emotion and therefore I'm going to try to chase it. Like, yeah, the judgment of our, our situations is, is overall not helpful (laughs) in that way. I think that's, I totally agree with that. So where are you now in terms of your, your faith? And you don't have to get into like the details of what you believe, but where are you in terms of feeling like, like you're still searching or you found or at peace or really confused just with all of it and trying to develop a belief system that, that works for you? Um, these days, I mean, I've always felt pretty spiritually connected. Like I, I feel, I feel a connection to like, things that I don't understand or that I can't see. And I don't have the same vocabulary for them as I did before. Like the vocabulary before was, was what was taught me in the Mormon church. But, and, and now I, I see that like, oh, these are things that they're not exclusive to the Mormon faith and, and, and everyone is calling them all these different things. So like, I, I feel like my 
my beliefs have have continued on just like without the umbrella of the church and they've they've taken new forms um as far as as far as how i approach them and what i consider to be a spiritual practice especially if we're talking like specifics and physical life <laughs> instead of abstract things mm-hmm. um so i mean like i consider art now a spiritual practice when i am am painting or when i'm writing a poem or or, or like when i'm creating the podcast like i consider that an act of like communion with a higher source of of if if you want to call it that yeah and then i mean and i've always been really um appreciative of nature and so i walk out in i, I try to walk out in the woods every day and just doing like doing things like that like i try to commune with nature and it feels very spiritual to me it feels more spiritual to me to do that than than what i used to do than like going into a church or or yes. praying certain words you know like i i do have like i have a pretty open idea of like what god means now or what yeah what it means to like have higher meaning it, it's all very vague it's all like i'm sorry this is probably like super vague because it is and i'm becoming okay with that with the yes. uncertainty and the openness because that's the most exciting thing about it to me but it's also like was initially the most scary thing because it's like oh this is just a void of like what is real out there yeah I don't know if that answers your question very well no it does I I love that um you're right that it it can seem very just vague and sometimes even when I talk I'm like am I am I making sense but I love what you said about that you found that so many of the different religions are talking about the same thing. They're just using different words. And I could not Mm -hmm. agree with that more. In fact, I'm going to ask you to send me a list of book recommendations for different religions and philosophies, because I'm, I'm very much in a super curious place in my life when it comes to all that. But I really, what I'm expecting to find is, is the same thing, that there are these core truths among all of them, but those core truths can be vague and can be very simple and then it's just like the interpretations and the applications differ among the mm-hmm. different religions. And like, this is how you practice that, or this is how you honor, you know, that. But what I'm, I, what I'm expecting, what I'm really hoping to find is kind of those core concepts are all, are, are all the same and they're just being kind of interpreted and taught differently. And then you throw in the human aspect of it. And we are by no means, you know, a a perfect species. So that's where things can get like a little bit muddied. Yeah, well, I mean, and also too, with with stuff like spirituality or ultimate reality, like no one knows what consciousness is. No one knows. Yeah, like we're all guessing. (laughs) Yeah, like no one knows. And so every and people who claim to know more than the average person, like certain mystics or people who have seen visions or done heavy amounts of LSD or this and that, you know, they all have this different way of describing things. And so through each person's individual lens, it it gets obviously distorted. And so, I mean, I think the whole point of like a spiritual practice is to have your own experience and your, and, and build your own definitions of what, of what 
reality is and what it means to like live a good and meaningful life because all the religions and all the customs, like while they can be really interesting to learn about and helpful, like I love mythology. I love learning about different mythologies of the world. And the work of Joseph Campbell specifically is a really interesting one. If you want book recommendations, he's everything he's written is really exciting to me personally. But ultimately, I think like to experience your own spirituality, like and try to distance it as much as possible from like your preconceived ideas based on what other people have said their spiritual experience was is is that's like what I that's where I'm at. And that's what I am after these days. And I use, I mean, I use tools of various different teachings. Like I love yoga and I love the yoga uh, mythology involved with that and meditations from different cultures, um, certain, certain uh, like neo-pagan practices. Like there's all sorts of really amazing practical practices as far as, as far as holding onto any certain one of them and saying, this is it you know they're all pointing at something that is beyond every single one of them yes oh i absolutely could not agree with you more i love that so what would you recommend to somebody who is maybe in in some kind of belief system or religion or or maybe they're completely without one and they're just feeling like it isn't right for them there's something their kind of internal compass is, is questioning or is wanting to, to find information elsewhere, but they're just, they're feeling like disconnected from it, I guess, to go back to our, our mm-hmm. first uh, word. Like what would you recommend would be kind of an easy starting point for them to, to try and figure out maybe what is right for them? Well, for me, I think one of the most helpful things that I did during that time was certain meditations and getting in touch like with my with the feelings like of my own body so through yoga and through um visualization practices like kind of discovering your inner world and exploring that first because because that's what is going to get you acquainted with like your inner voice and like how you can trust yourself and how your how you operate really. And like, there are some interesting um, insights to be gained. Like when you start, if we're just going to use the example of like, this is kind of a mundane one, but just like the physical body I did, I read some book. I don't even remember what it was about. I think it was about energy medicine or something, but she talked about this. She just gave a certain meditation where you sit and you imagine a room inside your mind and then you, kind of explore around your body. (laughs) And, and for me, like, just that act, like I was suddenly filled with the most amazing, like, I don't even know how to explain it, just like this awareness of energy flowing through all of my cells. And like, the effect of that was to, I started seeing my body as this really beautiful and positive thing. And it's really easy in a system like like Mormonism or any system that like has sexual repression to, to view your body as like this bad thing, as this Mm -hmm. thing that is not a helpful tool. It's something to be overcome. But 
but just that small shift of like, oh, this is this is like my instrument, you know, like my body, like that's what we're hearing, these bodies. So like I need to get to know this and I need to start like thinking about it in a more loving and positive way if I want to if I hope to be able to like use it to its full potential, you know, like, so just tiny shifts like that, um, from, from being exposed to just like new ways of thinking. So that's what I mean, reading and then like doing whatever you feel drawn to as far as getting to know your internal landscape. There's so many, so many ways. And that's just like a small example that I enjoyed. I have like a back and forth relationship with meditation. I had gotten really pretty into it. And and that was, uh-huh. and I wasn't even doing any kind of formal meditation. I was just figuring it out myself. Like I was just sitting quietly and doing exactly what you just said, like trying to almost be aware of my body and kind of like feel the, like the energy within it. And I had some like really, really cool experiences with that. And then I kind of got out of it and now I'm trying to get back into it. But I think that that, that can be an important first step. And so like, it's like when we talk about meditation, it doesn't necessarily have to be, it doesn't, it can look many different ways, similar to kind of almost like the theme of this whole conversation, like find like your version of, mm-hmm. of meditation, but just some way to kind of quiet your mind and your surroundings and just get back in touch with yourself. And I think another key point is to, not go into that with any expectations of, you know, hearing voices or having right. some kind of like huge revelation, but just going into it with no expectation of more just, all right, I'm going to see what I can like discover about myself today. Yeah, totally. It's, and it's a gradual unfolding. I think if, if someone who is in a state of exploration is patient <laughs> enough with themselves and is not trying to rush the process, like it's, it just unfolds naturally. So there's not, there's not really, I mean, I mean, this is kind of funny thing to say and might contradict everything that I just said, (laughs) but I I don't think that there's really a way to hasten the process for you. Like, however, you're going to learn something is, is it's going to organically happen. Like, I don't, I mean, like, yes, you can come to certain teachings or certain ideas and implement practices in your life that might come at a time that that hastens it. But it's just like you you will learn when you learn and you will realize things when you realize them. So it's like this is I'm I'm like giving myself a self coaching session right now. It's something that I have to uh, remind myself of continuously with everything, especially I'm going to totally jump and switch gears now to art. When I make art, I. I'm really impatient about developing a style and and developing a career out of it and all these things when the process is like very gradual and it's just step by step stuff that you just you just can't rush it. So like becoming okay with patiently unfolding instead of forcing things is another attitude I think that is helpful in all aspects of life. Oh, I I totally agree with you and I give myself that pep talk not even as often as I probably should. And that kind of goes back to what we talked about before that it's like everyone is in process in every aspect of their life. And so to your point, you can't be impatient with yourself and you also can't be impatient with others because we only realize things when we realize things and we're doing the best we can with the knowledge we have. And like, yes, you can do certain things like read or meditation or whatever to try and speed up 
your knowledge or your awareness or kind of bring on some of those realizations. But ultimately it is what it is. And like, you're, you're at whatever pace you're at as is everybody else. So I think it's kind of accepting that about yourself and then also turning that acceptance outwards to other people. At least for me, that's been super helpful to kind of remove a lot of judgment of myself and like of others. Yeah, that was really well said. That is, that is the important side effect of it is when you have your patience with yourself and you develop that kind of self-compassion, you can then give it to other people, which is going to be a foundation for any positive relationship that you want to have in life. Exactly. Which ties back to, and I didn't even mean to go down this road, but why this podcast focused on our relationship with ourselves, because I think that does set the stage for like every other relationship in your life. Okay, so we're coming up on, um, this is a long conversation, although we <laughs> cover everything I wanted to cover, but um, maybe we can have you on again for like a round two. Um, but go ahead and tell everybody um, just kind of where they can find you and your podcast and your art and just everything. Yes. Yeah, so the podcast I have is called The Intentionists Podcast, and I do that with my friend Hillary. And so that's intentionists with an S. Um, that's .com. And then on Instagram, it's just intentionists. And then you can find me on Instagram at Amy Schreiber. And then my website for my art is amyschreiber.com. Should I spell it? It's kind of weird. Or you'll probably have it written. Yeah, go ahead and spell it. It is. Okay. It's A-I-M-E-E. S-C-H-R-E-I-B-E-R. Awesome. And your your art is is amazing. Like you are you are very talented. So keep up oh, that spiritual you. practice. <laughs> thank you so much, Casey. This is so much fun talking to you. I appreciate I it. I know, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for for your openness. I really appreciate that. And I would I would love to have you back on and we can kind of dive more into this stuff because you're definitely like an old soul. Like you're a deep you're a deep thinker. And I love that because I love to get into these types of conversations. Oh, well, yeah. Anytime. Let me know. Okay. Okay. So I know that conversation got a little bit deep, but I just loved it. I love deep conversations like that. But if I had to choose my favorite takeaways, they would be how we often don't even allow ourselves to question things. Our beliefs and our thought patterns can be so ingrained in us that we become blind to the fact that there are even options how religions can provide a wonderful sense of community. But if you feel like you are different or don't fit into some of the beliefs, it can cause the complete opposite effect and instead leaving you feeling extremely isolated. How judgment can hide under good intentions. We may think we are looking out for someone or saving them, but aren't we ultimately judging the way they live their lives? Perhaps that's where the phrase, the road to hell is paved in good intentions came from. How we are all human and that essentially means imperfect. We are in process and we are going to make mistakes. So maybe this concept of constantly striving for perfection is doing more harm than good. How sometimes an unintended consequence of religion is an inability to trust ourselves, to instead constantly pray for or search for answers outside of ourselves rather than just listening to ourselves. And how if you allow yourself to question yourself from what you believe to how you live your life, it can open up a whole new world of possibilities. Thank you again to Amy for sharing her story. I absolutely love all the insights she provided. If you want to give me feedback or get a message to Amy, you can email me at thebetteryoupodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at thebetteryoupodcast. As always, I would love it if you check out my book. It is titled, I Gave Up Men for Lent, The Story of a Jaded, Hopelessly Romantic, Health Conscious Party Girl's Search for Meaning. 
And if you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe to and rate and review the podcast. That really helps in terms of visibility so that we can grow the podcast and I can keep doing it because I'm absolutely loving doing it. I'm just having so much fun having all these conversations. After this, you will hear a um, actually our first quote from a listener and also a previous guest. And that is it for now. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Hi, my name is Mocha. You may have heard me on episode two, See Me. I'm the author of Give a Little, Gain a Lot. And my favorite time spent sharing my story with Casey was the quote, you die once, but you live every day. Pretty much you got your life here for you. Everything you want, everything you desire, everything you need is for your taking if you want it. And when you're dead, you can't take any of it with you. Not the people, not the laughs, not the memories, not the helping along the way, not the fears, not the tears, none of it. But every day you get to experience that and every day you grow. So you live daily, but you die once. So if you keep that mindset that if I'm here each day to do something different, to be different, to show up for myself, then hey, you've already showing up and you're seeing you, which will allow others to see you as well. <music>